Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, and the Grimgard role-playing game. And I have never watched Avatar until now. Uh, because I have, at Amanda's suggestion, started watching Avatar The Last Airbender, and we've been going through them episode by episode. We did the first two episodes, the pilot episode of the series, last time, and this time I watched episodes three and four. So getting to some stats for the episode here, uh, this one is called The Southern Air Temple. Now, it, are these episodes all written by the same person or i forget from last time how many writers there are for the show so the writer like category there's several um they all just kind of rotate um mm -hmm. so dante di martino is also one of the creators of the show and he did help to write the last two episodes um the the opening two episodes and um yeah so they they have i think five or six uh writers that they kind of just cycle through mm -hmm. um show and he's one of the ones that gets used quite a bit because he created the thing i'm really interested if down the line as we've watched as i've watched more of these i wonder if looking back it'd be kind of cool to look back and take a note of who wrote which episodes and see if there's common themes or things that are emphasized or if a writer has a pet character that they that they tend more toward so as someone that has watched the show multiple times, binge watched the entire thing, um, I actually do have a favorite writer out of the group, and that is Aaron Ehaz. You're going to start seeing his name a lot, especially in second in the second season. Okay. Um, he has written some of my favorite episodes in the entire show, and he actually moved on to working on his own show, uh, The Dragon Prince on Netflix. And it also really? is very similar, yeah. And so he he's a really, really amazing writer, really understands this world and these characters um, and the story. And so we'll be seeing more of him later down the line. But Michael's also a great writer. As I said, he's, as I keep saying, he created the show, so he really understands it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, so uh, it's directed by uh, Lauren McMullen. And so I don't I don't remember who is directing each episode as as we're going along. Well, just remember Dave Filoni directed the first two, so. Oh yeah, that's right. He does a couple this season. I don't think he does anything past the first season, but he did definitely. He actually did my favorite episode of this season. So. <laughs> now, also, there's something that I didn't know, which is the third point that we marked down, which is uh, it was animated by Dr. Movie. Uh, now, I, I actually didn't, it didn't occur to me that the animation for, for each episode would be done by different, different studios. I actually didn't even, I didn't even think about it until now. Yeah, so for the first three seasons of Avatar, um, it's different for Legend of Korra, but for the first three seasons of Avatar, they have, I believe, three or four animation houses that they kind of switch between. JM mm. Animation is their main one and my personal favorite i love the way that they animate the characters and the action and all that um this was dr movie um i don't know if you noticed but there's i don't want to say a downgrade in animation it's just different it has a more anime vibe to it yeah um, i i so i actually did notice and i don't know why this surprised me some animes some long-running animes um i mean i it's very similar 
to lots of the Disney shows that I watched growing up. I watched a lot of the more vintage 90s uh, Disney shows like Tailspin, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop, and they were always different animation studios. Some of them were by the Disney Animation Studio in Australia, which had some of like what's considered the highest grade, or the very, very famous uh, TMS Entertainment that mm -hmm. uh, did some of the best animated, highest quality episodes of things like Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Um, and I think after a long time um, of watching anime, I got really used to watching anime that was very dedicatedly all done by the same studios. Things like mm -hmm. Gundam shows or Cowboy Bebop that are consistent the entire way through, that it's like the, whole, the, the same studio all the way through. And I think it kind of caught me off guard when I, the animation was a little different. And now reading this, I'm like, oh, it's different animation studios. Of course. Yep. And I think that this is... I know that DR Movie has done a couple episodes of the, of the first season, but this is the first one they've done. And they're one of the lesser used of the animation studios. JN, like I said, is kind of the main one and in my yeah. personal opinion, the best one. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to see the first two episodes, which were done by JM Animation compared to this one, where you can definitely tell that there's a difference in style and just the movement mm -hmm. or stilted like anime. Um, and the eyes are different. It's like little yeah. things like that. I, as an animation fan, you know, I just, I eat that stuff up and I love seeing the behind the scenes of the animation studios and all that. So it is very interesting. It reminds me a lot um, of more recent experience with anime that's more like that is, of course, one of the longest running anime, uh, Dragon Ball Z. And in Dragon Ball Z, the differences in the animation can be extremely different from episode to episode. Um, then there is one particular uh, studio or set of animators that do very, as you say, kind of very cookie-cutter kind of anime. The eyes all look very similar um, and, and, and things like that. Uh, so some of them are a little bit filler episodes where that animation is used. So yeah, I am I am used to it a little, only here and there in anime things like that with Dragon Ball Z. This is a little aside since you mentioned Dragon Ball Z. Um, I actually, the woman that voiced Bulma, one of the main characters of the show, for the mm -hmm. first episode, eleven seasons or something like that, crazy amount of time. She was the original voice actress for Bulma is Tiffany Vollmer, and she was a teacher of mine at MediaTek. So really? shout out to Yeah, did I not tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, shout out to Tiffany Vollmer. I love you. Um, yeah, I, she, I went to film school in Texas for everybody listening, and she was one of the acting teachers, and she actually helped me with my uh, final fan film that we did. And uh, yeah, she called um, one of my stars. He has a girlfriend that loves Dragon Ball Z, and I was oh. like, hey, do you want Bulma to give your girlfriend a call? Because I can make that happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she did, and it was great. Um, but yeah, so we got we got anime ties all over the place up in here. <laughs> right. Shout out your your goodwill to a student's girlfriend was never forgotten. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Uh, the episode aired February twenty fifth, two thousand five. And the IMDb rating for um, Avatar's third episode, The Southern Air Temple, was 8.4 out of 10. Which, Solid. Yeah, not to get into it too early, but like, I actually, when I, when I literally did this today, um, when I was looking up the rating, <laughs> I do everything last minute, you know it. Um, yeah. But when I was looking up the rating, I was surprised because this is the highest rated episode so far that we, that we're discussing. And 
in my opinion, this is probably my least favorite of the four episodes that we've that we're discussing so far. Um, not that it's a bad episode by any means, but just like out of the four. Okay. Because so I am gonna rock your world because oh I'm gonna God. explain to you when we start going through this episode why this has my favorite of the oh. four episodes. Oh no. <laughs> I'm like, like, oh my gosh, that's that actually makes me very happy that you like because that means we're gonna have differing opinions on it. So yeah, this is, this is gonna be great, but I think you're gonna love some of the things that I loved about it. So, okay, I am so excited. But first, we gotta get to these fun facts. So, yes, this is the only episode in the series in which the title screen denoting the chapter in the book does not have the usual plain white background. It has a animated sunrise, which I love. I think it's beautiful. I wish that honestly more of the episodes had like animated kind of background. I, I actually it's... did not even realize this, but now that you oh, say yeah. it, I'm like, oh, you're right. It didn't. Yeah. It sunrise. Well, usually I... they have the you know the plain white background, book chapter, all that fun stuff. But no, this one had the beautiful sunrise, and it was very nicely animated. See, I loved see it. they were buttering me up to, to to get this. Maybe the episode isn't as good as I thought. It's just that sunrise just really got me at the start. And my, I was emotionally manipulated. That's all it was. Got Sunrises. <laughs> they got they got, got them. <laughs> um, so the second fun fact is, according to the Avatar Extras, which for anyone that does not know, Todd included, back when the show was airing avatar extras were something that they would do when they were showing the episodes they were little like pop-up and basically they would give fun facts like what we're doing here um about the episodes and about the creation of the episodes so that was always super fun for someone that loves behind the scenes like me to read those behind the scenes. um and so According to the Avatar Extras, the writers contemplated on an entire episode dedicated to the fact that Momo was supposed to be the reincarnation of Monkey Yatso, but they ultimately decided against it. So I think that, that was the right choice. I don't think that that needs an entire episode dedicated to it, but wow. it's still an interesting yeah. yeah, it's still an interesting thing to think about that like, you know, with the idea of reincarnation and the Avatar cycle and all that fun stuff mm -hmm. like that Momo could be Aang's mentor figure that found his way to him, you know, in right. another life and all that. So it is interesting, but I'm, I don't think that the show needs it. There's already enough going on. Um, okay. So hold on a second. When it, yeah. is, it, 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 so did they omit that Momo as the reincarnation or did they just omit that this is the episode they talk about it? That's, uh, that's a good question because they never really talk about it. They don't, you know, make any reference to him possibly being reincarnated. So I okay. think it was just more of an idea that got scrapped, but they kept the animal just as a cute sidekick animal. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't think that they, I don't think that they really ever confirmed if it was true or not, or if that was just an idea that was left on the dining room floor. But, you know, right. it's fun to think, oh, well, maybe it is just because. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Momo is the key to all of this. <laughs> Yes, uh, the, mo the monkey. We, we named the monkey Gatso. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for our third fun fact, in Sanskrit, the word Agni can be interpreted as meaning fire, while Kai is the Hawaiian word for sea. So Agni Kai, the fire jewel that Zhao and Zuko have, could be roughly translated to sea of fire, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and then cool. finally, yes, and Agni, I should make a note of this, Agni Kais are very important. Do not forget that that is a thing in this world because it will come back in a very major way. Okay. Um, 
Aang chooses Momo as the name for his pet lemur after he steals a peach from Sokka at the end of the episode. This is important because Momo means peach in Japanese. We're getting all kinds oh. of language lessons here. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Something that your 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 average your average American viewer would not know, wouldn't get. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like every anime viewer knows that, but you know. <laughs> well, every, every the anime fans will know that your average American. <laughs> Oh, what a cool cartoon. They're not going to get it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's just get into it. Um, why is this your favorite out of the four? I'm curious. <laughs> okay. So it, it really was. It really was. Um, gosh, where do I where do I start? Okay. So I really felt that the episode, first of all, focused in a huge way on ang himself mm-hmm. and while somebody could say oh but the first two episodes were all about ang he was that they he was released out of the iceberg there was all this lore and mystery about who he was we saw this amazing display of his power we 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 saw everybody you know not sure he was who they thought he was and all this stuff we got to see how the fire nations after him yeah okay that but that's all stuff happening outside of ang This is the first episode that really, when he walked into the temple there, the the monastery, and all of the statues of all the avatars before him are all there, it's like we walked physically into a metaphor for his life. Mm -hmm. There are all the avatars, and I love that part where, like, later on all their eyes light up and they just just spiral up and up and up into the monastery. And it really put in perspective for me that Aang isn't just this kind of goofy, quirky you know, character, um, you know, Aang in a lot of ways mirrors what is a very common theme for lots of protagonists in anime. We were just talking about Dragon Ball Z not that long ago. And in many ways, he's a lot like Goku. Goku is really goofy and really silly. He's very carefree. He's the kind of person that would go, you know, chase down a dinosaur to ride it like Aang does or name his little animal pals and try to make friends with everybody. The always look at the bright side kind of guy. The guy who looks like, how can you take him seriously? Because he doesn't take anything seriously. But then in those clutch moments, he becomes very deep and there's a very deep philosophical serious side to him his heart comes out he would die for his friends he'd kill for his friends and i feel like this was ang's episode for that he's had pensive deep thought you know oh i'm putting people in danger you know he's had pensive moments before but this Mm -hmm. really jumped into this exploration of him contemplating himself and being like wow the avatar has really lived on in so many different people before me and my life is so old and ancient this energy inside of me and there's Mm -hmm. a lot to be said about it and plus it, it hit on a, such a deep emotional level for him, not just to contemplate that, but then to go back and realize that all the people that he cared about are dead. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a gut punch right there. <laughs> and the emotional yeah. weight of the episode was really there as we watched this. It Seeing Aang, like curled up in a ball, crying, sobbing on his knees in front of the corpse of his master. It's such an unexpected thing because he's this fun, innocent kid. Like, it's it reminded me of that moment from um, 
the the old Disney retelling of A Christmas Carol is Mickey's Christmas Carol from like when was that like the was it the seventies or something like that? And I've been like eighties or nineties. I don't think it was. Was it was it more recent? That wasn't that long ago. But 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 there's this scene of Mickey Mouse when there's the Ghost of Christmas Future that that comes to Ebenezer Scrooge and shows him, um, and Mickey Mouse is there at like tiny tim's grave holding oh, his crutch and he's like <laughs> crying it's like mickey mouse crying and mourning for his son what and that's exactly the emotional impact this had i was watching it and i'm like oh my gosh this kid this yeah, poor kid no. but at the same time he's this ancient entity that's mourning these people and it's just there were so many levels that was unspoken i just i loved it and then to see like the avatar energy come out, the avatar spirit activate in this massive, huge way, it was very much. I'm sorry to make the connection again, but I feel it's very apt. It was very Dragon Ball Z. It was very yeah. Goku's best friend dies, and the Super Saiyan spirit inside him awakens, and there's this massive destructive activation of his power that just consumes him and like turning him into a different person. And it was mm -hmm. it was profound. It was amazing. And it was also this pledge from from his friends that they're his family. And yeah, we kind of got that vibe of the first two episodes, but now it's real. Now his family's gone. The people he cared about are gone. Like, I loved it. I'm sorry. Like, there's all this emotion that I cared a lot about what was going on. Whereas in the first episode, I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But like Zuko, though. But like in this episode, I was like, man, dang. Wow, kid. Yeah, no, it, I totally agree. Like that, that is one of my favorite scenes of the episode like that, you know, his realization of what happened to the airbenders and then the Agni Kai between Zuko and Zhao, like those two moments are the best parts of the episode, in my opinion. Um, Cause it, like you said, it really puts a different context on Aang who previously we thought was just this happy go lucky, you know, positive thinking, airy kid. And now he's got so much tragedy and weight just suddenly thrust on him and mm doesn't really know how to react to it except for going into fight or flight mode which is the avatar state like and it just it's so it's so impactful and powerful and man when i i remember seeing this episode when it first aired um mm. i was just like a seven-year-old and like when i saw the skull of monk or like not just the skull but the body the skeleton body of monkey yeah. you know in the temple I was shocked. Like I'm still shocked rewatching it. Like, wow, they really did not hold back yeah, on that. Yeah, I was very surprised and, and yeah. impressed. And you know, this is this is totally just a fan theory, but I absolutely believe it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in that scene when we see Monkeyatsu skeleton, we see a bunch of Fire Nation soldier like yeah. uniforms and all that surrounding him, but he himself does not look burned. So there's a theory that being an airbender master monkey Yatsu literally just suffocated this entire room of soldiers and himself and that was how he died he didn't be he wasn't killed by fire nation soldiers right because um, doing that would have starved the oxygen out of the room to kill the fire right. as well which would explain why the building wasn't burned down right exactly so even though that's not confirmed i totally believe that that's what happened yeah no <laughs> that's that's really awesome way to go out but also like implication is so strong just based off the visuals and what we see that like yeah he probably didn't die from firebending he probably took himself out along with all those soldiers so it just 
adds another level of like badassery, but also like, you know, wow, mm -hmm. that's really dark. <laughs> I get, see, I still see. And I, and I love that. I love that. And see, this is, that's one of the many things about it that like, there's layers in this episode that weren't there in the previous episodes. Like, mm -hmm. like, like the episode episodes were great. And like episode four was real good too. And I'll get to that when we get to it. But like this episode really just had so many different layers of things going on on, a, on an emotional level and a storytelling level. And I haven't even gotten to Prince Zuko yet. Yeah. Well, why don't we? Let's let's hear it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to do this backwards because I'm going to go to the end of what we see of Zuko and 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 Uncle Iroh, Iroh right? Yes, and 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 I want to go to the end of it first, and then back, go back over it, because mm -hmm. I really felt like the episode took the time to yeah sure like we we had him all set up in the previous episode with like all this story about his motivation and everything and yeah that's great it draws a lot of, um, it draws a lot of background for him so we understand him we have a good grip on who he is. Um, and they already introduced a bit of conflict there where he is, he's the bad guy, but he has some depth to him. Mm -hmm. But what I really think this episode did with Zuko is that it, it didn't just add dimension. It, like with Aang, it added immense depth. And one of my favorite things was also my favorite dialogue from the episode was at the very end of the duel, the, <laughs> the, 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 the Agnikai. Agni-Kai, yeah. Agni-Kai, the Agni-Kai. Where the Agni-Kai is over and, you know, the other guy, the, the general, jumps up like he's going to strike him. And then you see Uncle Iroh just put this man down. Like, Uncle Iroh just puts this man on his back. And he, you know, admonishes the guy. And it was so good that I, like, wrote down the dialogue because I love this. I think it was great. I think it was my favorite moment of the entire episode. Where he's like, even in exile, my nephew is more honorable than you. And then he just turns, he goes, thanks for the tea. It was delicious. And he yeah. leaves. And I'm like, uncle, wow. <laughs> and then, and then we have this amazing moment from Zuko. Mm -hmm. This reaction we've never seen from him, this emotion we've never seen him exhibit. Where he looks at Uncle Iroh and goes, did you really mean that? And and for that and for one moment, all of his like, I'm tough. I'm the prince. I got fire. You can't teach me anything. I'm gonna capture the avatar. Is all just like stripped away, and you see in this very private moment between him and his uncle, no one else can hear him. There's no soldiers around. He doesn't have to posture for anybody, and he just goes, "Did you really mean that?" And I love his uncle's response because he goes, "Of course I did." I told you Jingxing tea was my favorite. <laughs> Such a good moment for both of them. And yes, I love that moment that you're talking about with Zuko. Um, because as I as we said in the previous episode, he's a teenager. So this is really like him at his most teenager. He is seeking like approval and love from his father figure, who is his uncle. And 
like getting that verbal validation, I think was like such a big thing for him that he literally had to be like, did you mean that? Like, wow, that's really touching. And like, it just, it's such a sweet moment. I love him so much. Uh, I just want to give we'll him a see, hug. And it just, well, see, the thing is that in, in, it added even more to it. Like, yeah, we knew already that he was bringing back the avatar to prove something to his father, but like we, in the conversations leading up to it before the, the Agnikai, um where the general's just kind of on him about this whole thing and they're butting heads and arguing and all that you know we we were already we were already getting a lot of his story and, and understanding what his motivations were but it added the dimension of sympathy and and also a sort of menace to zuko that he's trying to do all this to win back favor with his father that he is an exiled prince because i don't know if it's stated explicitly anywhere in the first two episodes but i completely missed it that like he's an exile and he shows up and he's getting this mad disrespect from the general and everything and i was like dude this is the prince and then they're like yeah you're the exiled prince and i was like whoa yo wait a second he just yeah, to go no, and prove something to his dad so his dad will love him again yeah what? No, that, that wasn't ever divulged in the first two episodes i didn't that's think so okay yeah no okay so that's what i mean that like it lent so much depth and all of a sudden i wasn't just like oh this guy's really impressive i was like whoa all of a sudden the emotional impact like with ang the emotional impact is now there for, for zuko and so he's he's getting just this mad disrespect from the general and next thing i know there's a duel and i'm like okay this is gonna be great because the story could have gone any way and i gotta tell you that was the fight. I don't care about any other fight that happened so far. This was the fight that had me on the edge of my seat because I was like, what are we going to do here? Is this going to be some kind of like humbling moment? Is the general going to defeat him? And he's going to be all like, I guess I still have a lot to learn. And like, we're going to do that. And, and that would have been really like stereotypical. And I'm glad it didn't go that way. I'm glad that it wound up establishing for us. Not that he is this like guy who's, who, you know, his, you know too big for his britches who's mm -hmm. who thinks he's so cool and, and and everything but he's not and he's actually inadequate and he has a lot to learn he's not as skilled as he thinks he is no he is very powerful and he is very skilled and he has a lot of you know bite to to back up his bark so to speak yeah okay. no i i love the agni kai duel that's one of those like there's so many amazing duels and fights in Avatar. Like this wouldn't even crack like top 20, honestly, but like, I always forget about it. But every time I watch it, I'm like, this is such a good duel. Like I kind of like you, I always get on the edge of my seat when you just at the moment that you think Zuko's going to lose to Zhao and you're like, Oh God, like he's going to blast him. It's going to be over. Mm -hmm. No, we get the line from Iroh basics Zuko break his root and that's what kind of snaps him into okay I can beat this guy I just have to go back to the beginning of my training you know the basics as they say and like that ends up working and it's great and like him you know breaking his balance and then you know fighting back and I'm just like yes yes my king get it <laughs> I think what I think what's really interesting is that the parallels that are drawn in the episode um of of the time it takes to add both depth to ang and then add depth to to zuko are really interesting because we see in a way a disassembly a dismantling of ang where he is torn down to hit to so to speak to his basics mm -hmm. and and at his core 
he is still a kid who needs a family. Mm-hmm. And then we have Zuko, who is also a kid and needs his family, except his family is, isn't dead. They're alive, but he, he is completely estranged from them. His family. Right. Like, that's what he's wanting. And he gets that in the form of Uncle Iroh. But, you know, as with most teenagers, especially you'll see later in the series, he's not appreciative of that unconditional love that he gets and support that he gets from Uncle Iroh. So that's why I love that moment, as we said, where, you know, they just have this quiet little intimate discussion. And then, of course, Uncle Iroh ends it with a joke because he's the best. Um, (laughs) It was the best. It was was so good. I I was applauding. I seriously was. we didn't really talk about it when we were talking about Aang, but I want to talk a little bit about Sokka and Kantara in this episode because they're not the main players, Aang and yeah. Zuko are, but I love rewatching because, as I said, this is not one of my favorite episodes, so I don't watch it as much as the others um, in the lineup, but rewatching this episode, I actually really loved the dynamic that Sokka, Katara, and Aang had. You know, Sokka, there was a moment in the episode when when they first arrive at the Southern Air Temple and Aang is just kind of down. He's just like, this place used to be so full of life and bison and lemurs and airbenders and now it's all Mm -hmm. gone. And then Sokka, you know, you'd almost expect him to make a crass remark or just like be kind of an ass about it. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we told you it would be like that. But instead he tries to distract Aang by asking about how to play the airball game that he was telling him about. And it's just, it's such a little thing, but it's like, yeah, that's actually very sweet. Like he's really trying to lift his spirits and like, you know, get him to doing something that he did as a kid when he was living here, you know, playing this yeah. game mm-hmm. and like totally going for it. And it just, it makes me so happy um, that Sokka's kind of taken on almost a father-like figure or an older brother-like figure for Aang, you know, trying yeah. to lift, you know, his spirits. And then on the other end, you have Katara, who is very much the mother figure of this group. Um and she, on the other hand, wants to coddle and protect Aang from the truth. Whereas Sokka wants to either distract or tell him the truth. She's just like, no, he can't handle it. I don't want to tell him when she finds the evidence of the firebender, she wa- or she snowbends over it mm-hmm. to, to cover it so that Aang right. can't see it. And, you know, Sokka says you can't protect him forever. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's very interesting that like they have such different approaches to how to handle this very, very messy situation that they found themselves in. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just, you know, like I said, they're not the main players, but like they really add to it when um, Katara stops Aang from going full sicko mode, basically, on the <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, that becomes a reoccurring theme of like Katara is really the only one that is ever able to bring Aang out of those kind of modes, you know, when he's just completely out of control, Avatar stays in full blown. Hey, She's the Avatar, only sun's getting real low. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. But yeah, it's super emotional and sweet. And, you know, I I just love their relationship so much and how much she and Sokka care about him, even after only knowing him for what I would assume is a couple weeks. Um, yeah. You know, just basically claiming them or him as their own, as their family. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, these kids, I well, love them. And, and, and you know, also, it, while, while you know, Aang is the one who very clearly is being, being, he being bereaved of his family, this is the one who's gaining a family, you know, I think it's also important to take an, an additional note, you know, going back to Katara and Sokka, that they, 
um, they don't have their family with them either. They left all their family behind. They left the whole tribe behind to go on this quest. They are the only family they have. And so it makes sense that they would also try to fill that gap for themselves by taking him in and really making the statement, you're part of the family. We are all family. This is a family group. This is a family outing. It's a family yeah. road trip on a giant flying bison. Literally is. <laughs> Especially <laughs> this, this is the, we're going on the road trip, kids. We're going to stop at all these locations and meet all these characters. And, Adventure you know, is out there. Exactly. Maybe fight Zuko along the way. Um, yeah, I love it. I love that it. it's kind of a more chill vibe, whereas later, in like even later in this season, and especially season two, mm -hmm. um, we get more of like a streamlined story, which I personally yeah. prefer because like I love how tight knit the second episode or the second season is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is more of a relaxed like road trip, which yeah. is very fun. And, you know, a lot of people would say that these episodes are filler. I... I somewhat agree, but I also disagree because I think it really fills out not only the world, but as we said, the characters and the story. Like without these episodes, we would not understand why the characters do what they do or why they are the way that they are. And, you know, I'll take character development over a streamlined story any day, you know, <laughs> like yeah. characters first and foremost in anything, whether it's a book or a movie or a show. And I think that that's what this show understands. And that's why they have so many of these quote unquote filler episodes because they expand the characters and they yeah. really fill them out, which I love. Yeah, yeah no, um, I totally agree with you. I told you my, my deep Midwest came out there when I was like, yeah, no, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I agree with you super hard on that because one of the great things in storytelling is that in order for it to really resonate with uh, whether it's a reader or a viewer, it has to be relatable to real life. And think about real life. Real life is not all main storyline all the time. Your life is not constantly on an arc of what long-term relationships are de developing, what long-term career goals you have. There's a lot of little vacations and breaks that we take out of our everyday life, our main storyline, if you will, to have... Okay filler and what it is it's just it's fun side diversions it's that it's that vacation you go on with your friends for a long weekend it's that that really cool trip that you take it's that one day that wasn't like any of the others but it was a bonding experience between you and your and your sibling or your friend or something and it doesn't have to fit with the main storyline but it's a story all into itself it's a it's a vignette and life has vignettes and i think it's it really does do a, a disservice when you have a, a good episode or a really good episode like this that yeah it it's it's a it's a very solid you know footnote it's it's a push pin in the story even mm -hmm. though it doesn't branch directly off into like oh and picking up from here here's where the story flows because the next episode right. is almost nothing narratively to do with the any right. of the actual events of this episode exactly no, it, it, it's amazing. No, this episode is legit like 9.5 out of 10 for me. The 0.5 is that the animation was not, okay. the animation was, the animation was not great, but <laughs> we talked about this, but no, yeah, no, I actually loved the episode super hard. That's awesome. I'm so glad. Um, if I were ranking it since you just did yours, I'd give it maybe a 6.8. <laughs> That seems too low. I'll give it a seven. Yeah. <laughs> you feel so bad now that we've been like praising it yeah, for all these really like, good things. 
Yeah, no, seriously, like talking about, I'm like, yeah, it is a lot deeper than I'm giving it credit for. It's just that so many other episodes are so much better that I'm like, Oh man! And in perspective, <laughs> sure. And in perspective, it def I'm sure it definitely is because I mean, and I might have a similar opinion much later on yeah. when I've seen some yeah. incredible episodes. Um, but this episode is really, really good, and uh, I think it deserves you know every bit of that IMDb rating. I, I I was thinking after watching these two episodes, oh, while I still have a lot to say about the next one, which we're about to get into, um, this episode for sure. I think that I got. <laughs> can I use that? Can I use a line here from from Tarantino? Tarantino script. The first, after the, this episode, I was like, <laughs> first you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's yeah. great. I'm glad that you liked it so much. Yeah, that really sums it up. I I was like mildly interested, where I'm like, oh, this looks like it's going to be a good show. I'm very interested to see what happens next. And this was the episode that made me go. Okay, now I need to know what happens next. Now, now it's got it. It's got me. So, all right. Uh, so the next episode was uh, episode four, the Warriors of Kyoshi. Uh, we have some stats, our usual stats on the writing and direction, written by Nick Malis or Malice. I'm honestly, I think it's Malis. I'm not sure. I honestly, when I was looking up these stats for this episode, I was like. I don't remember this writer. This he must not have done a lot of episodes because, like, that's not a name that I'm familiar with for uh, the show. So I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Sorry, Nick. Um, but Nick, good yeah. episode, though, Nick. Good episode. Yeah, I, have some, I, I have some very, I have some very good things to say about this one. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was directed by. I am going to be horrible with this name. Gian, Gian, Giancarlo Volpi. Volpe, Volpe. Yeah, I'm so sorry, you guys. There's, there's, you didn't include an accent mark on it, so I'm going to say it's Volpe. Okay. Yeah, and no, it's... that's actually a name that you should become familiar with because he's also done a lot of episodes of Avatar. Um, he's okay. directed episodes, so just keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward. As we go forward, the repeated names will eventually start start dawning on me. Hopefully one day we will put these names right. We, we will, we will. Uh, this one is animated by JM Animation. Yep, back to form. Yep, yep, it was very, very good. Uh, and the episode aired on March 4th, 2005. Uh, the IMDb rating for the Warriors of Kiyoshi is a solid 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10, baby. Yeah. So, fun facts, we've only got three for this one. It was very hard to find them for this one for some reason. Um, but the name of the Kiyoshi Island sea serpent, the unagi, is Japanese word is the Japanese word for eel, which makes sense because it's a giant eel. Um, <laughs> I think I've ordered I've ordered unagi at sushi restaurants. I was about to say I wasn't sure because like I know sashimi and like a bunch of these other. I don't really eat sushi, but like I know that there are words. I had sushi just today. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't order unagi, but <laughs> yeah, that would have been an in theme. Um, so for my second point, I've got that the fighting styles of the Kiyoshi warriors is similar to the waterbending tactic of turning their defense to offense. So that is something that we kind of touched on in the last episode or the last podcast episode, but um, waterbenders use Tai Chi, which is about using your opponent's force against them. Um, and so it is, it's like it says, turning defense into offense. So I think that's very fascinating. Um, 
And this tactic is also used in ninjutsu. Oh yeah, ninjutsu, which I don't know much about martial arts outside of the show, what they present, but um, yeah, so that's fascinating. Um, Everything about the martial arts aspect is always deeply interesting to me. I don't remember if I mentioned it in our last episode. Um, I learned Wing Chun Kuen, um, which is an amazing martial art. Did you know? Did you know that I know Wing Chun Kuen? No, I studied it and practiced it for thirteen years of my life. I know a lot of Wing Chun Kuen. Uh, I have lots of books, actually, some books that are literally right here on my on my shelf about um, the, the about about uh, personal key energy and and the transference of energy, about balance and internal energy balances. Um, a lot of which all factors into the martial arts. So I. I have a deep, deep appreciation of the martial arts and the both the philosophies and the spiritualism involved. I love it. That's so cool. I genuinely did not know that. You did not bring that up before. So yeah, how, how long have we been friends for? And now, now you're knowing this? We are celebrating our four-year anniversary, or last month we did, and I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that I, this is not nearly as cool, but I did... I got up to a green belt in karate. <laughs> That's it. So, Honestly, wow! I'm not look at us. That far. So. Look at look at us, martial arts oh, masters yes. here. Not not me. <laughs> and oh, look at God. us now. Podcast on. Podcast <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. Cobra Kai never dies. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, and then the final, this is not really a fun fact, but it's just kind of a thing that happens. But this is the first time the fan favorite Avatar Kyoshi is mentioned in the series. Now, oh, oh, oh okay. I learned yeah. some really cool stuff. So I have a fun fact about this. I learned okay. yesterday, I was telling my friends about, I was running a game on Grimguard and one of my, mm-hmm. uh, one of my fellow players, um, I was talking about the podcast and they literally like slammed the brakes of the conversation and he was like okay okay you you need to know this i know it'll probably be after you're done with the series but there is a book there is a book written that you must read and i was like okay they're like yeah the avatar that there's a that there's a statue of in the no excuse me he didn't say it was a statue of he said that there's an avatar this really powerful cool avatar that who's a woman and it's just all this cool backstory i'm like was it by any chance the one that was in the statue in the village? And the, he's like, yes. I was like, I just watched that episode. He's like, yes. <laughs> yes. She, so Avatar Kyoshi um, was not the previous Avatar before Aang, but the previous, previous. Um, mm-hmm. So she was an earthbending Avatar and she is a fan favorite. She is a stone cold badass, not afraid to take people out. <laughs> Um, which, you know, the Avatar is supposed to be a beacon of peace and like, you know, joy and love in the world. I mean, so, so were the Jedi, but like they just lock people's heads off, you know? Yeah, exactly. If we're like comparing like Jedi to the Avatar that I'd say Kyoshi's probably like, I don't know, Mace Windu where she's like- I was about to say that. She's kind of like the one that has very questionable morals for what she's supposed to be. Um, and she's got like really cool backstory and a great look and all that. And she does have, I, I believe two books. I know there's at least rise of Kiyoshi. Um, mm-hmm. and I think there's a second one coming out, but, um, and we do see more of her as the series goes on because Aang mm-hmm. can commute with his previous lives or previous avatar lives. Wow, um, spoiler so. alert. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, she is very, very cool. And she's got a very cool uh, backstory and all that. So just, you have not seen the last of her and she'll probably become a favorite of yours as well. Um, so yes. Nice. So look forward to it. Yeah, no, I was very excited to hear that there was a, a book and it also kind of her saying that as a, as a, I'm sure all the Avatar fans are going to be nodding sagely as I say this, but it kind of opened my eyes to the, the, the realization that there's other media that the oh. Avatar franchise has branched out into and it kind of reminds me of like that moment when I realized that there were like Halo novels and things like that. That would I remember being at a book sale in my library and I did a double take and I was like, they're selling video games. I picked it up. I was like, oh no, it's a Halo book. Oh look, it has another one. I was like, oh, okay. And it's just okay. it, it I, I was very impressed by that. It, you know, as you know, I know next to nothing about the entire Avatar. He asked, my friend the other night asked me, what do you know about Avatar? And I was like, I named like the five characters whose names right. I can remember. And I was like, I know that he can control the elements and he mm -hmm. likes animals. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> Honey, you got a big storm coming. <laughs> I, right? But I, I think it just, the whole, the whole franchise and the whole fandom um, as as a whole, it just kind of gained a lot more clout with me, where I was like, wow, it isn't just like a beloved show, it's branched out mm -hmm. to all these other media that I have yet to discover, that I'm sure much, much more will come to my attention. So, oh, mad respect. Sure. <laughs> mad respect. All right, so why don't you tell us what are your thoughts on this episode? So, so the episode is very, very different in tone from the previous one. You know, we just finished ex extolling the previous episode for all this deep character stuff that it went into. I did like how this pushed the story in in a new direction. And I kind of could tell from the start that it was going to be, you know, as we just mentioned, one of these little vignettes, you know. Um, I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're getting into a situation of the week over here. We're wandering around. We find a cool island. We stop for a very, very simple reason. <laughs> yep. Because the animals are cool, which yep. I mean, they are. Um, I instantly loved the, what were they called again? The elephant koi? Is that what they were? Yeah. The giant fish that he was riding? Oh, I love those things. I thought they were so cool. Yeah, I love all the animal hybrids. <laughs> I love animals. Zoology has always been a favorite subject of mine. I have like a million zoo books, but like I love stuff like that. So quick note, I'm loving the animals. I love Momo. Yeah. I love the I love the elephant, the elephant koi. Um, yeah, and then they get abducted. And I like knew right from the start that this is gonna play right to formula. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, warrior women. I, I can't wait for Soka to be a huge misogynist. And like before the thought could finish, he's like, we got beaten by girls. And I'm like, oh, Soka. <laughs> yes. Oh, we love you. But like, that's maybe that's why I like this episode more because it's really a Sokka story. Um, and as I've said, Sokka and Zuko, favorite characters. Um, <laughs> so I love, um, you know, him getting to drink his respect women juice. <laughs> Like, and getting really, this is just an episode of him humbling himself and like really having his own arc within this, you know, 26 minutes, which is great. Yeah. Um, of, you know, going from there's no way that a bunch of girls beat us to literally getting on his knees and, you know, humbly asking that these women, the Kyoshi warriors, 
teach him. It was a it was a growth moment, and it became a moment of mutual respect when they do train him. And yeah, sure, we still rib him. He's wearing the dress, but then they immediately turn it into this teaching moment for him and for the audience too. That like, no, this is like traditional battle you know battle robes it's not a dress dude you know and 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 they, they and they start taking apart all like the what what the things the materials you know mean and all the different parts of the suit and i'm sitting there just fascinated because i love this stuff and i'm just like that is so cool dude come on like you gotta have respect for these women now like this is exactly what you want it's just coming right. from a really unexpected source and I really liked that, and like how the bat in the battle later, he and he and the the warrior girl—I don't remember her name—that that they hit it off, and there was this connection. And it wasn't even, of course, they had this moment of a little, like a little, you know, kind of romance thing, a little, little bit of a love thing going on. But they also just had each other's backs, and that was so cool to see. It was very. You know, they talked a lot about that in uh, Wonder Woman, the the movie mm -hmm. Wonder Woman, where there was this great camaraderie between her and her male counterpart, where he wasn't playing hero to her, but they also didn't flip it in a way where he was a joke, where, like, she's saving him all the time, and it's, like, the butt of a lot of humor. They complimented each other, and it worked, and I was so happy to see them do that and develop that so effectively in such a short amount of time. Loved it. Yeah, no, I... And since you can remember her name, her name's Suki. Um, and I love Suki, like such a big avatar crush of mine. She is amazing. Um, she actually comes back way later in the show, but- um, Can we appreciate how good their eyeliner wings are? Oh my I, Lord. I love the makeup that they use for the Kyoshi Warriors. Like I'm a big fan of just like samurai look and like, you know, the, the makeup and the masks and all that. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's so cool visually. And I love that they have a distinct look so that just from a distance, you could be like, oh, it's a Kiyoshi warrior. Like you'd be able to pick them out from a crowd. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love her. I love that. Like she is willing, like she doesn't have to take Sokka under her wing because mm -hmm. as she said, they never teach outsiders the ways of the Kiyoshi warriors, especially boys. And yet, because he's so humble and because he is genuinely trying, and it seems to be hard for him, but he's still doing it, um, you know, she is willing to teach him. And, you know, I, I love that it's more that they build respect before, like, becoming romantically interested in each other. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so effectively done. And it doesn't feel like force at all. Like, they have no. genuine chemistry. Like, yeah. they're both warriors. They're both, like, pretty fiery people. And... They both have very strong convictions that they're trying to abide by. And like, I think that that's why they're so interested in each other. I love the way you said that they're both fiery characters because now I'm just like, yeah, boy meets a girl. And then the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> Literally is what happens when Zuko shows up. This is it. And then the Fire Nation attack is forever going yeah. to be my metaphor for like friendship blossoming into romance and, and the embers catching flame and then the Fire Nation attack. <laughs> that's just what that's what I think of whenever anything goes wrong. Like no matter what it is, everything was great until the Fire Nation attack. <laughs> um so I this is something that I don't think a lot of people really talk about, but I love that when Zuko does show up with the other Fire Nation soldiers, um, you know, they're starting to wreck the town and all that. 
like the Kyoshi Warriors actually put up a pretty decent fight, like despite mm -hmm. being on benders. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that I love seeing that because as you'll soon discover, there's a lot of non bending characters outside of Sokka in this show. And they're almost more competent than the benders. It's kind of crazy. And I love seeing that, that like, despite having this superior advantage over non-benders within the world of Avatar, mm -hmm. you know, non-benders have to compensate and they yeah. find very creative ways to basically be on the same level. Um, and so it's very cool that, yeah, these warrior women that are basically teenagers, they are able to fend off this fire nation army from their town um yeah. even if just for a little bit so um i really love that and um yeah i don't know i just i love the humor of this episode i think that this episode's hilarious <laughs> thing to like comment on but like like for instance um this is one of rachel and i for all, all you that do not know rachel's my middle sister um this is one of our favorite episodes to just watch and laugh at. Not because, you know, we're laughing at the show, but with it. Um, because it's just so funny. The way that they animate certain expressions and the animation for the movements and things like that. Like, for instance, the opening scene when Aang is wanting to ride the uh, elephant koi and then the Unagi shows up. Like, the, <laughs> the insane expressions on oh, his Oh, where he's, face. like, fleeing the thing? Oh, gosh, that I have in <laughs> stitches when I saw that. That was so good. <laughs> water trying to get from the Unagi <laughs> flailing and just like it is so ridiculous but so funny I crack up every time no, and, and, and just, the, just the antics in the town too where like all the girls are after Aang and he's just like oh, yeah. he's running from them on the bridge and they're on the it, it, it is a very very funny episode it's hilarious yes I love it it's so funny um and yeah, I don't know. I just, I love the humor. And, like, the, <laughs> this is so petty, but, like, Katara and Aang's, like, tumultuous kind of relationship with this episode of, like, him, you know, getting all this attention from all these girls in the village and her being jealous, but, like, trying not to act uh -huh. like it. I just love that, like, you know, you see the seeds of their relationship, like, their romantic relationship being planted very early. Um, and this is the first instance of, like, Katara being kind of a petty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I like that scene where she's like trying to bend the water of the pot and he's like do you want to come watch she's like no not really he's like okay that's fine and she's like yeah, yeah okay that's good that that's fine yeah <laughs> she just <laughs> water she's so angry yes it's so funny and it's it's totally true because like if you've ever been a girl which I know you haven't but if you've ever been a girl especially a teenage girl and you have a crush on someone and they don't either don't know or they're just not interested and you see them being pursued by other girls or even men. It's just like, it's so infuriating. You're like, that should be me. <laughs> like, and it's just, it's so like true to like the female experience. <laughs> just being that like- That moment when you see your crush with other people. Yeah. Yes, literally. It's a, it's, it's a whole mood. It is. Um, but yeah, so I just, I love all that. I think it's, very funny and well done um i love that we get a little bit of backstory with um kiyoshi when they go to her temple and all that and they see like her wardrobe and right. they see the painting and all that um i think that that's very cool and wait did that happen in this episode oh my god hold up am i thinking of another <laughs> no nope. um, 
Wow, I, I am. I'm thinking of the Avatar Day episode. All right, scratch that. We... <laughs> we'll back up. We'll back up a second. <laughs> no, no. Um, I do. I, I was going to add something more since you were talking about Kyoshi. Rewinding yeah. here. Um, one of the things I really love about the Kyoshi Warriors, kind of winding back to some of the comments and compliments you were making to them, um, I really, really love, like you said, that they were on the level or even higher level than the invading fire nation warriors i was mm -hmm. like really worried for a little bit that they were going to depict them as like oh they're brave but they're nothing compared to the fire nation soldiers and ang mm -hmm. has to come and save them or whatever was going to happen um but no i loved that they really took him out until zuko of course gets on the scene and the previous episode having built him up yeah sure his fight with ang really showed that he was a good fighter but we also got watched him get just smashed into the ground by like the avatar so not a fair show of his power but we already right. saw him take out a general in the fire nation in a in a duel and so now when he comes on the scene he's even more fearsome like i said the episode the last one really built not not only sympathy for him but it built his menace a little more we know mm -hmm. that this is all very personal it's not just a oh i want clout the fire nation i want daddy to be proud of me he, he he really is trying to be the best so that he can get this so that his dad will love him and accept him again mm -hmm. and so when he shows up on the scene we now know what a personal stake he has in this and the fact he's very powerful so i was like Okay, it takes it takes Zuko to 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 knock them down. Okay, mm -hmm. the Kyoshi warriors are very very powerful, very cool. Yes, and we love them. <laughs> this we do. They made them strong. This is very. This is always a challenge whenever you're making strong women in writing. They didn't mm -hmm. make them strong by making them masculine. Oh, which yeah. I feel, which I always feel, and, and the, while this is a controversial thing to say, I'm not afraid to say it, that it's a very common pitfall when they're trying to write strong female characters to take traits that are typically masculine on the surface, like they can take a hard punch, or they're very physically strong, or they do really stereotypically masculine things, like, look, they ride a motorcycle. I'm like, yeah, okay, like women don't ride motorcycles. Why are we making this like a tough, strong person thing? They go for this, they, they take machismo, and they just have a woman do the macho machismo things they didn't right. they were very they were still very feminine they took pride they, like i said their their eye their eye their eyeliner their mascara was amazingly done the wings were immaculate and they didn't wipe off their makeup to 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 fight it was warrior fate it was warrior paint you know mm -hmm. it was and and they fought in something that you know they weren't wearing these like pants and everything they were in robes that were right. so feminine quote-unquote in appearance that Soka's like I'm not gonna wear this dress and it's mm -hmm. warrior clothes but they don't need to be they don't need to look in a way that if you could mistake them for men when you saw them because you know what I mean their femininity was their power they didn't need to remove the things that are stereotypically feminine in order to be powerful and impressive and gain gain our respect and I loved that right and I think that now as you're talking about that I'm just thinking oh yeah they also have fans like that's their choice of weapon yeah. which is a notoriously feminine object you know women fanning themselves and having them with them and all at all times back the, the in the gi, old the, gi, the geishas with the with the fans and everything right. yeah and i think that 
you know, to use that as this seemingly, you know, non-threatening thing, a fan, as weapons, it very much reminds me of Mulan. And one of the coolest moments in the movie when she uses, instead of, you know, her sword or, you know, some other kind of weapon, she uses her fan, something that she originally resented because it was such a feminine object as a tool to basically kick the bad guy's ass. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. Love that. I, I personally love fans. I think that they're so beautiful and like so cool that I love that that's incorporated into their not just costume, but as a weapon for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's and when Aang used them, oh my gosh, like being able to channel the airbending through the fans, it's yeah. so cool. Well, see, and that was the cool thing was that you saw in a way how their culture, you know, pays homage and pays honor to the avatar kiyoshi because mm -hmm. if she's an airbender they have the fans the fans and i'm like yes <laughs> i love the symbolism yes it's so good i love it yeah, yeah no there were lots of things to love about the episode um it, it was very funny it had a great story with soka um and the, and i really did enjoy what you brought up also about uh that budding relationship there um, with Katara and Aang. And I, I like that the way they did it was this, that they have the story of, of him getting attention and his whole, you're the Avatar, and he's kind of, it's dawning on him, his identity, um, mm -hmm. that that uh, went to his head and we, we see him get carried away. But I also like that the episode, again, maintained the depth. It didn't make a joke out of it. Like, oh, now he's all vain and prideful and needs to be humbled he mm -hmm. actually was doing everything he was doing to get her attention he just wound up accidentally getting everyone else's attention and right. and it was more annoying to him than anything because he was kind of naive to it because at the end of the day he he wasn't even trying to flaunt to her that like oh me and all of the village girls are going to go here he wasn't trying to make her jealous he really wasn't it was mm -hmm. he was just kind of dense like guys are <laughs> And he was more like, I'm going to do something so cool that there's a big crowd of people coming to see it. That's how cool it is. Mm -hmm. Almost thinking like he was going to convince her. And he didn't really realize it because he's a 12-year-old kid. Right. That, that That's actually putting her off from wanting right. to see it. Situational awareness is not there. I feel that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I... I think that this is also something that I didn't really think about until rewatching it um, this time around is that, so, you know, the first three episodes, Aang was kind of resentful of his avatar title. Like he straight up says, I never wanted to be the avatar. And we yeah. explore that more later. Um, but now he's starting to see that like being the avatar means things like it, it means something not only for him, but for everyone around him. And like, that gains him some notoriety and some fans. And like, you know, the avatar, like I said, is a symbol of love, peace and justice in the world. And so like people are drawn to him and whether he wants it or not. And he kind of likes it though, it seems like he, you know, he may be annoyed by all these fangirls, but like, he's also enjoying the, you know, the fame that comes with it, I guess. Yeah. The Cause comfort. The yeah, because this is the first time he's ever gotten to really experience that, you know, being out in the actual world as the avatar and seeing how people react to him like it's very interesting especially since he is so young like that yeah that could very easily go to someone's head um but it seems it's to also, like 
it's also interesting that one of the aspects he mentioned about it because he himself said it was they're fixing up like the statue in the village uh, like they're whatever they were doing they were cleaning it or paint paint repainting it or whatever right and so he there's this moment of i think self-reflection for him where he's like as the avatar i do more good in the world than just when my friends or whoever are in trouble i can use my powers to help them he realizes that he's a symbol that he inspires something in people that there's good that he just his very presence accomplishes and mm -hmm. i think that it's him becoming a little more self-aware of that because he did accomplish that in the happiness and the laughter that he brought to to katara and soka's village that he wasn't really aware that he was doing it because he was already gone by the time they were even aware right so he has this positive effect wherever he goes he doesn't even have to try it's just his presence brings that and and his awareness of that you know dawning on him was a, a big character point too that uh i'm really looking forward to seeing more yeah it's great <laughs> so overall um the episode is really good but in light of the fact that it has very high measuring sticks to go against you know as we know um i'm gonna give this one a, a solid seven out of ten i'm i'm gonna be just a little high i think i'll give this one a 7.5 out of 10. because ah, i really always, do always got a one on me <laughs> oh, no, I gave the last one a 9.5 so no it's okay i'll be like i'll be like soka and i will i will bow and humbly ask only to be taught <laughs> the ways of the avatar oh you i guess maybe <laughs> <laughs> i know the tradition normally isn't taught to outsiders but that's what this podcast is all about now it's... <laughs> yes i will teach you <laughs> <laughs> thank you that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.